0: hola y bienvenidos a la daily hustle deuces wild daily hustle as a matter of fact soy enrique Barnes is y president de el mejor cerveza no abate por no filter network will the thrill clark although thrill will be joining us tomorrow for the latest edition of deuces wild Miguelito San Diegoito also not with us this morning, but dead or alive, job or no job, of course you guys know this. We properly salute our boys. Yes, 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 yes. yes! Woo! Remember this, folks: when we are juiceful, we are useful, and when we are useless we are class all together now fucking useless a very pleasant good morning to you on the 27th day of november 2023 i have spent the past couple hours putting together this morning's daily hustle and For those of you who are unfamiliar with how this actually works, basically, what I like to do is write an email that then goes out to thousands of people that then we come on here and talk about along with all the other news stories, sports scores, weather phenomenons, and I don't know, whatever else uh, you can imagine around the world. A lot of life optimization stuff. Well, I got a text that was basically no it didn't actually because i was on instagram this morning posting a stormy burns update and i saw a post for brad brennan who is the brother of brent brennan who is the head coach at san jose state and san jose state basically not basically they did they went into unlv this past weekend and had a huge victory which then, in my opinion was going to solidify their spot in a conference championship game long story long they didn't get it so they beat unlv who was a first place team and for whatever reason they were left out despite finishing with the same record despite the head-to-head victory it's just the whole thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me so I researched it, I dove deep, I was going one direction with it, and then I kind of decided, look, I'm not sure if that's the message here. And it was, I don't say a lot of complaining, but it was, you know, and I'll, I'll go over this stuff with you guys in a second. But it was more like head-scratching sort of things. But I also want to make sure we didn't miss the fucking message, man. And the message of what I really wanted to send in this life optimization pod, Is that what Brent Brennan has done with the San Jose State program over the past, what is it, about six years now since he's taken over, it's incredible. It's nothing short of miraculous. So, went ahead and still was in the process of putting this thing together and also then realized that I had to start this show before it timed out. So, I cut it off a little early, but I will share... Most of it with you, ASAP. Just give me a minute to go through our title sponsor here at the Daily Hustle Bet Online. That's right. The holiday season is often rolling in. NFL is in full stride, and the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, with up-to-the-minute wagering news, odds, trends and predictions bet online is a top spot for everything pro and amateur sports and not just the big tour tour for not just the big four bet online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that is played from mma to international soccer head to bet online today And remember to use our promo code BLEAV, capital B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Also, don't forget about our partners at KTT. Hold on a second. I want to make sure this thing is up and rolling i'll check an audience view yes there it is kt tape in the upper right hand corner hit the qr code and tape up folks the science on this is pretty simple the tape lifts the skin up It promotes blood flow to the area which decreases inflammation and alleviates pain i am not a doctor once again i'm not a scientist I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but this shit works. And then, lastly here, to focus for the show, hold tight, we got Verge. Here it is. I have not had my Verge this morning. Maybe it. That's why it took me so long to try to write this daily hustle. But it's got lemon. It's got cannabis. It's got honey. What more could you want? Go to tryverge.com if you're looking for that sustained energy, a nice little, I call it a high, but it's not a high. It's just a almost slows the day down in a beautiful way. For me, but this is a uh, Jory over at Triverge. I'm gonna shake this up a little bit better. Mm. Salute everybody! Triverge.com. Trust me, it's soothing on the throat. Throat. It is soothing on the mind. Okay, I'm gonna share with you guys now the incomplete daily hustle. And then I'll go from there. And I'll try to hit some of the talking points of this and that, whatever. But here we go. San Jose State started out one and five this season, and it looked like it was going to be a long year for the Brent Brennan-led Spartans. The last games, excuse me. They lost games to three ranked teams, including number 15, Oregon State, number 24, Toledo. And then Number six, USC. On October 7th, they seemingly turned it around and held a 27-7 halftime lead on the Smurf turf at Boise State. But per usual, some wild shit happened on the funky blue surface, and they lost a 35-27 heartbreaker to the Broncos. At this point, San Jose State could have mailed it in and started focusing on They use their invaluable experience playing against the top-ranked teams and the collapse in Boise to ignite the rest of their regular season. With a 37 to 31 win over the Mountain West leader UNLV in Vegas this past Saturday, the Spartans just racked off their sixth straight win to finish up at seven and five and in a three-way tie for first place in the Mountain West conference i don't know why my screen's black hopefully that's not the audience view well let's check it out let's hit the chat <laughs> as i'm in the middle of it what's up rj what's up pete john davis yo yo can you guys hear or see me okay it says i'm good beautiful thank you john i appreciate that all right so it says here, with the 37-31 to win over Mountain West leader UNLV, yada, 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 they're in a three-way tie for the Mountain West Conference. After just beating UNLV, who also tied for first on their home field, one would assume San Jose State would undoubtedly be playing for the conference championship next weekend. But, of course, the computer models got involved to break the tie and somehow fucked it up. Look. Instead of dwelling on an incompetent system that is keeping the Mountain West's hottest and best team out of the championship game, let's use this slight as an opportunity to celebrate San Jose State's football, San Jose State football's resilience and what head coach Brent Brennan has built. When Brent took over the program, they struggled through a couple of really rough seasons, yet Brennan State committed to the process of creating a family type culture, which has helped propel San Jose State to a conference championship in 2020 and winning seasons the past two years, despite the lack of resources and NIL money compared to other D1 FBS schools. A few weeks ago, after a big win over Fresno State, Brent was in the middle of his post game interview when one of his players jumped on him from behind and gave him a huge Hug folks, that is San Jose State football. What Brent Brennan has done there with a culture goes so far beyond what's happening on a football field. The way his players react to him, the way his staff reacts to him the fact that they've had this success at this school that obviously is not known as a perennial winner. San Jose State has had some success over the years, but what Brent has done is nothing short of miraculous. And now to be doing it in a day and age when basically he's playing with his hands tied behind his back. It's tough to do that because they don't have the resources that these other big schools have. They don't have this gigantic NIL fund that's going to recruit players. But what he does have and what he has created is a fucking culture of a family that supports these kids, that nourishes them, that gives them the love that they need and deserve. And so how do the players repay him By going out there after being 1-5 and racking off six straight victories. They were also, by the way, up 27-7 against Boise State. And I know RJ's on here. He's from Boise, man. And Boise came back and won that game. That is typically the time when you would fold as a team. It's like, what more can we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he stayed committed to the process. He didn't panic, and here they are, bowl eligible once again. Now, when it comes to the Mountain West, the math on this for me is pretty elementary. Boise State, San Jose State, and UNLV all finished six and two in conference play. Boise State beat San Jose State. But they did not play UNLV. San Jose State beat UNLV and lost to Boise State. UNLV lost to San Jose State and did not play Boise State. Boise State and San Jose State had much more difficult schedules than UNLV. Yet somehow, some way they go to break this tie. I feel like it should have already been broken based on the head-to-heads. It's pretty simple. UNLV just lost to San Jose State, you're out. Unless, say, for example, they beat Boise State, which they didn't. And then you get here, this scenario, they bring the computer models in, and somehow they have UNLV as the number one team. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, zero. The matchup should be Boise State against San Jose State. That's it. I don't see how you could make a case for UNLV in this scenario. Even if you went by this basic point system and you say, okay, we'll go head to head, right? And let's just say if you didn't play, it's a zero. It's a neutral. and You don't get a point. If you did play, you're going to get a plus one or a minus one based on the result. So you had Boise state beat San Jose state. So they get a point but they didn't play UNLV, so they end up with, up with one point. You have San Jose State who beat UNLV, so they get a point, but they lost to Boise State, so they're, bam, minus the point. They're at zero. UNLV lost to San Jose State but did not play Boise State. So you're minus one on the San Jose State. So you would have, in my opinion, you'd have a plus one for Boise State. You'd have a zero- For San Jose State. And you have a minus one for UNLV. There's your tiebreaker. It's as simple as that. And the fact. That San Jose State just fucking beat you last week, man. Are you kidding? On your home turf. There's no way. You could logistically. Tell me that UNLV should be playing in this Mountain West Championship. They just should not be there. Boise State. San Jose State, yes, especially you take into account San Jose State's racked up six in a row. They're a great story. This is a, a team that has been incredibly resilient, and somehow, someway, they fuck it up. Does not make any sense to me at all. Okay, some other news that went down uh this past weekend this, we had all kinds of college football the NFL everything else but the buffalo bills my goodness that was a tough one to watch yesterday i had my ipad with me floating all over the place we were let's see here floating all over the place and i just like this is what i looked like we went to Jersey Mike's. We were at the Louisville Slugger Factory. Super cool innovation lab, actually. And then I went to Jersey Mike's and went for a little LTP baseball practice afterwards. But I had the game on. I, look, the Bills shot themselves in the foot. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They had that game won. They missed two field goals, which... Uh, you know, the irony is that they end up getting burnt by a 59-yarder in the rain. Yet, you know, we're missing chip shots, which, um, you know, for a kicker that's been really good all season long. But that was the game that they needed. That was the desperation game that if you looked at all the metrics, I'd never been so sure about a bet in my entire life. I'm not kidding. I was convinced, number one, the Bills were just going to win the game. Convinced. Plus 160 on the money line. Look, they were underdogs. Three and a half point underdogs. I was willing to bet whatever it was. I Just max play. That's why I told you. Max play, whatever it is. I'd money line them. I'd take the three and a half points. Whatever. Well, obviously, they let the Eagles hang around. And if you looked at all the numbers. Point differentials. The Eagles were nine and one with like a plus 61 point differential. The Bills were six and five with like a plus 100 and something point differential. They have these luck factors that come in that they actually sabermetrically will spit the numbers out. And basically, it said the Eagles should be a, a seven win team, not a nine win team. The Bills, on the other hand, should be a seven or eight win team themselves. You had the Eagles coming off the big victory in the Super Bowl rematch against the Chiefs. You had the Bills coming off the—you know—really, it's, it's 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 desperation time with them, and so you had to figure that you were going to get their best game. They played really well against the Jets. And the Jets have a good defense, so if you back that up, I, I again, like, was really confident with that Buffalo Bills play. Well, oh, my goodness. That's why you play the games, because after having a 10-point lead that really should have been a 16-point lead, the Eagles get back into it, and then the way they get back into it, the ball that Jalen Hurts threw up third and 15 back in the end zone two Buffalo Bills defenders right there could not have been in a better position. And somehow the ball finds its way in the receiver's arms. I mean, that was just, holy shit. It was one of these things after another, but the 59 yard field goal in the freezing Fucking rain was a dagger. Once that happened, it was like, oh. But of course, we try to stay positive. So then you had Josh Allen with a what? Davis. I'm talking wide open. Like it wasn't even close. And he ends up misfiring. So the whole thing just ended up being a huge debacle for the buffalo bills they take the loss my internet says it's now no bueno fire away in the chat if you do still see anything i apologize Uh, we got new internet here which is a terrible idea actually now that i getting back into it i am uh, convinced that i had it going we were perfectly fine and of course we decide to change (sighs) <sighs> oh my goodness. Okay. So, taking a look, by the way, at the other scores from yesterday. Let's hit the CBS app that I just had right here. Oh my goodness. There we go. Okay. In the NFL yesterday, you had that 34-37 Bills loss to the Eagles. The Saints go down to the Falcons. That was another big play of ours. The Falcons are now, what, 5-6. and six. The Saints, 5-6. and six. The Patriots, I mean, what a fucking ugly game this was. losers to the New York football Giants. The Chiefs, 31-17 over the Raiders. The Titans, 17-10 over the Panthers. That was another play of ours. We had the Bengals. And the Steelers somehow won that game. They shouldn't have. Uh, Bengals figured out a way to screw that one uh, up. The Jaguars, 24-21 over the Texans. That was a big win for the Jags. The Jags were 8-3. Holy shit. The Rams look dominant against the Cardinals, but the Cardinals are the Cardinals. Uh, Ravens, big win last night on Sunday Night Football, 20-10 over the Chargers. The Colts, 27-20 over the Buccaneers. The Broncos, 29-12 over the Browns. Where did the Broncos come from? I mean, my goodness, right? The Broncos are now 6-5. and I mean, there was a time you were looking at, you were wondering if Sean Payton was ever going to win a game in Denver, and now this is looking like a playoff team. It says, how the surging Broncos turned it all around. Well, let's figure it out. It says, Broncos win fifth straight. Examining how Denver's turned around and whether it can be sustained. Great question. The Broncos are the NFL's hottest team. A sentence that over a month ago would have been describing the heat of the flame inside the dumpster fire in Denver. Not that the club has won a a league-high five straight games. After week six, the Broncos were 1-5 with a... epically embarrassing 70 to 20 defeat to the dolphins on their resume and a lone win coming by three points against the bears. Things could not have gotten worse and they didn't look I mean, that's when rock bottom hits, right? Like it can't get much lower than, than this. So i say always fear the man and the team that has nothing to lose. Because in the party-driven NFL, every game is an opportunity, and Sean Payton's squadron took full advantage. They squeaked past the still-finding-themselves Packers 1917 and then bamboozled the previously unbamboozable Patrick Mahomes to the tune of three Mahomes-inflicted turnovers in a convincing 24-9 win. An absolutely bananas 24-22 win in Buffalo out of the bye, proved the throttling of Kansas City wasn't a fluke. Then a one-point win to halt the Josh Dobbs train and now a comfortable handling of DTR-led Browns. And Russell Wilson and company are tied in the win-loss column with the currently number seven seed Colts. What? Yep. Believe it. October's NFL laughingstock is squarely in the playoff hunt heck they are only two games back on the chiefs for the afc west crown how this happened i mean that's a big question here okay somehow after trading the 2022 prize free agent signing randy gregory the broncos went from the nfl's third worst pass rush from a pressure perspective 28.8 percent pressure rate to the 12th best at 39.5. Even the Gregory Les Snap has meant more opportunities for youngsters. Nick Bonito, Baron Browning, and Jonathan Cooper. I haven't heard of any of these guys. And that trio is rocked with a hefty collective pressure-generating rate of 17.7%. And the secondary has worked in tandem beautifully with the pass rush as the last five quarterbacks Denver's faced, two of which were Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I did see something about the pressure rates, right? When you lead the league and pressuring the quarterback, I mean, this was like an insane statistic. They showed the teams that led the league and their success rate as far as reaching the Super Bowl. I saw that on SportsCenter last night. So what's it's saying here is it's sustainable. It says after he reprieved the past two weeks against a career backup, so they have had that. Who is... well and Dobbs and a rookie in DTR. The next three opponents crank the intensity once again at the quarterback spot on the road against C.J. Stroud, Justin Herbert, and Jared Goff. Fuck, those are all three winnable, though. C.J. Stroud and the Texans, they're still the Texans, and C.J. Stroud's a rookie. Justin Herbert, I, I mean, you guys saw Justin Herbert last night in the Chargers. Pretty unimpressive. And then Jarrett Goff, I mean, as soon as we thought the Lions were the team to beat, they went and puked all over themselves on Thanksgiving. That was their one chance to come out and say, yo, listen to the roar, motherfuckers. We're back. Well, I say back because I'm not sure they're ever here. But it was their chance to... Show the world what kind of team the Lions were. I mean, they were eight and two, and they just had a clunker. Now, hopefully, we could look past that and they're able to get by it. But anyhow, so yeah, I, I don't look with the Broncos. Russell Wilson's playing great. Defensive line, keep the pressure going. I just mentioned those three games. I wouldn't be shocked if they. Keep this rolling. I mean, it's kind of like San Jose State; they were one in five, and then they racked off six straight. So, who knows? Okay, uh a couple other to the top stories that happened I mean, right here. You got MLB rumors. You guys want to go for those? Braves in on Dylan Cease. Sonny Gray lands back. And the NL Central relief pitcher market heating up. MLV's offseason continues on Monday with just another week remaining until the end of winter meeting. The Cardinals have reportedly agreed to a three-year contract with right-hander Sonny Gray to shore up their rotation. Past that, the rumor mill continues to crank. Let's get to Monday's best. The Braves are interested in Cease. Add the Braves to the list of teams interested in acquiring Dylan Cease from the White Sox. According to Bob Nightingale, Cease had previously been tied to the Dodgers, amongst others. Cease, 27, finished second in the AL Cy Young Award voting in 2022. He scuffled last season in Chicago. He had a 4.5 ERA, 97 ERA+, 2.71 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Cease is under team control for an additional two years and his top-notch arsenal makes him an intriguing buy-low candidate. Yep, yeah, but why would you want to sell if you're the White Sox? Coming off a shit year. I'd get Dylan Cease back to firing the baseball the way he was, and then I'd go to entertain offers. But it'd be pretty asinine to go ahead and sell him off at this point coming off the rough year, unless they're getting some pretty decent in return. But that dude could pitch. Sonny Gray joins the Cardinals for the third time this season. The Cardinals have added a free agent starter to improve their rotation this time. St. Louis added American League Cy Young runner up. Sonny Gray, I can't believe he was a Cy Young runner up. I mean, I felt like he was on his way out about four or five years ago and a complete resurgence. He's nasty too. He was with the Minnesota Twins, by the way. Uh, he had a three year deal believed to be worth about $75 million bucks. The Cardinals had previously signed Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. Gray, who pitched for the A's, Yankees, Reds, and Twins. I mean, I don't to go back and look at the numbers. He was great with the A's, shitty with the Yankees, shitty with the Reds, and great with the Twins. He has a higher ceiling than either. You can read more about him here. Uh, reliever Robert Stevenson, by the way, a hot commodity. He's been a popular name in the free agent market, according to MLB.com's John Morosi. Stevenson has drawn interest from the Dodgers, Cubs, and Angels, among other teams seeking bullpen help. CBS ranks Stevenson as the 32nd best free agent available this winter. Uh, he had a 3.10 ERA, 138 ERA, plus 4.81 strikeout to walk ratio. That's huge. The Angels add a veteran reliever. They announced late Sunday that they've signed Lefty Adam Coleric to a one year deal. Coleric 34 has appeared in just 32 Big League contests over the last three seasons. He's amassed a massive 4.68 ERA and 87 ERA plus. I mean, okay. Uh, you. Uh, <laughs> Is that going to get you a big league deal? No chance. I just don't believe it. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Some other top stories here. Let me hit the Apple News, and we go for a little bit of a ride. The Thanksgiving weekend saw one of the busiest travel days of the year and you were they were showing shots last night of lax and it was fucking brutal man i mean it it could not have been more jacked up i could going to look traveling in the midst of the chaos is not fun and I get it because some people have to do it and there's no other choice. But last night at LA accident to see the break, like the talk about just give me anxiety. I just, ugh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Travis Kelsey gets into a scuffle with Las Vegas Raiders players during record-breaking game. If this is not one of the most fantastic mustaches you've ever seen. I really don't know what it is. So it says here there was a bit of bad blood between Kansas City star Travis Kelsey and a couple of Las Vegas Raiders players on Sunday, and Swifties watching the game were ready for it. (laughs) Oh, I love this. During the third quarter, Kelsey, 34, pushed Raiders defensive back Amik Robertson and defensive tackle Jerry Tillery after a chirpy play That had the Chiefs wide receiver, Rashi Rice, down on the ground for a moment. Fans watching the game seemingly gleefully shared enthusiasm about the tight end's intensity. Oh my, Travis Kelsey can fight. The daily Taylor Swift account wrote on X. While another wrote, is it hot in here? Is anyone else warm? Oh, this is too good. The tight end's contributions during the game, which the Chiefs went on to win 31-17, went far beyond the skirmish, however, with Kelsey setting a new NFL record for reaching one or 11,000 receiving yards in the fewest amount of games, 154 as a tight end. The Chiefs star became the fourth tight end to hit the milestone, surpassing Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez, who previously had the record in 191 games. Gonzalez... Holds a record for overall yards, 15,127. While former Dallas Cowboys star Jason Witten is number two at 13,036. And former San Diego Los Angeles Chargers Antonio Gates is on the list with 11,841. Where's Brent Jones? Uh, It says, never miss a story. Okay. Uh, The fastest tight end to 11,000 receiving yards and the only player... In franchise history, to do it, the Kansas City Chiefs wrote on Instagram, Taylor Swift showed support for her man by liking the celebratory post. And it wasn't the first time the superstar has done so this season. Earlier this month, after Kelsey broke a franchise record for total receiving yards during a game against Miami Dolphins in Germany, Swift, 33, liked people's Instagram posts about the achievement. Swift and Kelsey have been making headlines for their ongoing relationship ever since the singer first attended one of the athletes' games on September 24th. She has been spotted at three more of Kelsey's games, sitting with his friends and family while cheering for the two-time Super Bowl winner. Kelsey's latest success on the field comes as the couple have been navigating spending time together Around their busy professional schedules. While the NFL star has been playing with his team. Swift has been performing in South America. Leg of her heiress tour. Which she wrapped up on Sunday. She's now free until February. When her tour picks up again in Japan. I mean whenever you can get. uh, uh, Taylor Swift in any of these combos. And you've got to imagine the Raiders' defensive players as well as any defensive player that's dealing with Travis Kelsey is going to try to fuck them. The Taylor Swift comments, the Swifty remarks, they're going to be plentiful. The goal of the opposition is to get into The player's head. Now, sometimes it helps, and sometimes it is going to backfire and work against them. But I gotta believe there's more defensive players that are gonna continue to fuck with Travis Kelsey everyone while filling in for Chris Collinsworth on Sunday night football. That's not very nice. NBC's Sunday night football booth was missing Chris Collinsworth for the Baltimore Ravens' 2010 win over the Los Angeles Chargers. His replacement, Jason Garrett, was far from great. The former Dallas Cowboys head coach was alongside Mike Tirico for the call because Collinsworth got the holiday weekend off after working Thursday's 49ers Seahawks game. Garrett had a rough night as he annoyed viewers all game long with his constant giggling after just about everything he said, he also did weird things like when he decided to jump in and share his thoughts on sunsets while Tariko was sending the broadcast to commercial break. Here's a few of the tweets that were firing all over uh, X. It says Tariko is going for a dramatic outro, and Jason Carrot does this. Jason Garrett has the most awkward post-sentence laugh I've ever heard out of an announcer. Okay, Jason Garrett just laughs at everything. Jason Garrett is terrible as a color commentator. He does this uncomfortable laugh anytime he says anything. Why does Jason Garrett giggle after every comment? Okay, look, I, you guys are fucking... I, I, I get it. I, I do. I, I The criticism is going to come fast, furious, often. I would say that sometimes, and I bet you this was the case with Jason Garrett, you don't know what you're doing. So there's times where I would go back and watch a show. That's the best way to critique yourself in, in anything. And I think it's really important that you do so where I'll go back and watch The Daily Hustle, and let's just say I was using, like, um, or this or that, and you got to go back and watch, and then you notice shit. Now, I have no opinion on Jason Garrett and how he did because I watched the game last night in Spanish. That's not a joke either. I was watching on my iPad, and I just listened to the game in Spanish. I didn't even know Chris Collinsworth wasn't there and the reason why i watched the spanish i wasn't given the option i or at least i couldn't find the english broadcast so i watched it on nbc uh universo so anyhow uh lou holtz what lou holtz thinks of ohio state's loss to michigan quote they aren't real happy always oh, nice to get lou holtz opinion here after an Ohio State 30-24 loss to Michigan Saturday, many college football fans were wondering where Lou Holtz was. In his postgame interview, after the Buckeyes beat Notre Dame 17-14 in South Bend, Indiana, Ohio State coach Ryan Day called out the former OSU assistant and Notre Dame head coach after Holtz questioned his team's toughness, saying, I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is Right now, Holtz was not done talking about Ohio State. Quote, losing to Michigan three years in a row is not good, Holtz said to former ESPN staffer Mark May, according to ABC 15 Arizona. What a long ride home it must be. They aren't real happy. Three years in a row we have lost to the University of Michigan. May responded by echoing Holtz's thoughts, saying, "Day." Got to be in hot water. Holtz then began to reminisce, remembering similar meeting with Michigan in 1968, the year Holtz was on Woody Hayes' coaching staff at Ohio State. Quote, when I coached at Ohio State under Woody Hayes, we played Michigan under the same circumstance. The winner goes to the Rose Bowl. The winner has the chance to win a national championship, Holtz said. Fortunately, We were the ones that were able to do so. We scored late in the game versus Michigan. We went for two. We made it. We beat them 50 to 14. Damn. Uh, They asked Woody, why'd you go for two? He said, because they wouldn't let me go for three. I love it. In an appearance on the Pat McAfee show in September, Holtz called Notre Dame's Notre Dame, a better football team than Ohio State before focusing his attention on Day. You look at Coach Ryan Day, and I coached at Ohio State under Woody Hayes, Holt said we won the national championship when I was there. I'm proud of that. However, he has lost to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan twice, and everybody beats him, does so because they're more physical than Ohio State. And I think Notre Dame will take that same approach. Jeez. So they were harsh comments. These comments riled up Day in his post-game interview after the Notre Dame game. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe it. Oh, jeez. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio State, and it's always been Ohio against the world. And it will continue to be Ohio against the world. But I tell you, I love those kids, and we have a tough team. I like that. That's a coach supporting his boys. Quote, everybody's questioning all these kids all the time. We had one bad half the last couple years. That's it. Everybody wants to question these guys. These guys are warriors that can win. I'm emotional about this for a reason. A lot of people question these kids and say a lot about them. And I love them. When someone attacks your family... To come in and win is special. It's a great win for the program and a great win for Ohio State. Well, apparently, it wasn't a good win on Saturday as it went toe-to-toe with Michigan and ended up losing that one. Okay, uh, the question is, what is that going to do for the old college football rankings i mean does this secure washington's spot in that final four check out the rankings here in a minute but right now the nfl week 12 wins losses and futures let's see here yeah i'm not going here let's go to NFL top 10 rankings. The Eagles hold the top spot. They're not the fucking best team. There's no way. No chance. Do not buy it. Do not believe it. Not convinced. They're not better than Buffalo. Uh, It's when you got a horseshoe up your ass. uh, It's easy to win football games. And they do. It says eight NFL teams have at least eight wins through. Week 12, which is tied for the most since 2002. But there are a few squads that stand out above the rest, and two of them demonstrated why on Sunday the Chiefs spotted the Raiders a 14-point first-half lead and then outscored Vegas 31-3 the rest of the way. That was a dominant victory. The Eagles pulled off an even more impressive comeback, overcoming a 10-point quarter deficit to beat the desperate Buffalo Bills 37-34 in Philadelphia in the rain. The highlight was a 59-yard Field goal by Jake Elliott. If that's your highlight, you're not the fucking best team in football. You're just not. I mean, you can make the argument that they should get rid of kicking the football together. Really. I mean, so much of that just comes down to luck. Now, these kickers are good. But Philadelphia fails, fails to Get the ball barely into Buffalo Territory. They're at the 49-yard line. Good golly. Kicking a 59-yard field goal. 59-yard field goal. And once again, the horseshoe is stuck up the Eagles' ass. It was just there is something to be said about. This is one of those things where they're 10-1. It's tough not to call them the number one team in football. But I'll tell you right now, the San Francisco 49ers would be favored against them. There's no question about it. I bet you the Niners, if you went into Philadelphia, and I, I think they do play the Niners, right? Is it next week? Let's see here. Number one Philadelphia Eagles record 10-1 last week went. It says, credit Nick Sirianni's crew for finding a way, a variety of ways to win. The Eagles have not pulled together a complete game, but they have played well enough to knock off a string of heavyweights that makes it hard to dispute the team's hold on number one spot, whether it's Jalen Hurts making magical improv plays or a line on playmaking defense that comes up with some splashing plays at critical moments. The Eagles have the ingredients to evolve into a championship squad i'm just i'm totally not sold on them number two the 49ers thanksgiving day of the seahawks marks the 49ers third straight win after a mid-season slump that led to questions and concerns over their defense at qb1 yeah but that whole thing was that brock Purdy had a concussion after getting back to the basics during their bye week the 49ers look like the best team in football with a disruptive Defense, explosive offense, and overwhelming their opponents. By the way, Christian McCaffrey is the best player in football. Fucking period. No other questions about it. He's one of the best players we've ever seen play the game. He's that good. The defense in particular looks like a destructive force with newcomer Chase Young's teaming up with Nick Bosa to give the 49ers an unstoppable punch on the edges. Number three. Kansas City Chiefs, it's not been pretty for Mahomes and company. But the passing game finally got on track against the Raiders. Seven different receivers combined for 27 catchers, 298 yards. For the Ravens, they looked good last night. To completely shut down the Chargers offense was impressive. Five is the Miami Dolphins. Mike McDaniel's offense headlines a show, but the Dolphins defense could spark a deep postseason run. I don't doubt that. They're good. Number six, the Jags. I mean, how about the Jags at 8-3? and three? The only question is this. You have all these 8-3 and three teams, right? You got the Niners. You have the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, the Miami Dolphins, the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Detroit Lions are all 8-3. and three. And you know who else is 8-3? The Dallas fucking Cowboys. They're number seven here on the list, though. Look out for the Cowboys. This is a team that is finally lying in the weeds. When everybody else is celebrating all of the glory of Philadelphia and Kansas City and the Niners and everything else. Look, that beatdown that they took against the Niners was eye-opening, and it was humbling. And if the Dallas Cowboys go on to win the NFC and then the Super Bowl this year, they're going to point back to that game against the Niners because the Cowboys, folks, are fucking good. And what's making them scary right now at this point is that nobody's talking about it. They're not getting the respect they deserve for the first time in the history of the organization. It says, despite feasting on a bunch of cupcakes on the way to an eight, three record, the Cowboys are rounding into form as a potential contender in the NFC deck. Press has caught fire directing an explosive offense that puts opponents in a bind trying to defend a group of dynamic pass catchers led by CeeDee Lamb and, finally, Brandon Cooks. As the defense continues to set the offense up for the prime scoring opportunities with turnovers and splash plays, the Cowboys are thriving, use, utilizing a complementary football approach, one that could produce big wins in the postseason. I agree. I, I, I do. I just... I'm shocked you'd put all these other teams in front of you. You're putting the Jags in front of the Cowboys? No fucking chance. I I love Miami. I love what they're doing. I'd have a hard time putting them in front of the Cowboys. I wouldn't put the Ravens in front of the Cowboys. I wouldn't. Now, the first three, yeah. You have the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, Kansas City and Philly, and the Niners. The Niners have pounded them. So, obviously, the Niners are going to be in front of them. But they still could be an extremely... Dangerous team. All right. And look. If all the shows, I was one of them. I feel like my internet somehow shit out. I'm looking at a blank screen. Uh, I'll fix those issues. I apologize. And we'll be back at you tomorrow morning for the Daily Hustle. And then once again, we got Will the Thrill back on the mic tomorrow night. Deuces Wild should be a... Fun one, we got uh, 1987 Tops packs that we, of course, will be ripping open, going over some epic stories, and then we'll get the latest on what's going on with Otani to see if there's any communication with the Giants in Otani. I posted something over the weekend, it was Mike Petriolo saying that Otani is the best fit for San Francisco. Now, what that means, it's fucking nothing, but... I, it, I mean, you know, we know, he's, we know he'd be a, a good fit there. Is it possible? Who knows? We'll talk to Will the Thrill about that tomorrow as well. And then we're going to do some live interactive hitting stuff. So, RJ, tell your boys, we're going straight mechanics. We're going to try to get Will on his tee in his garage and just break down. We're going to build a swing for the roundup is what I like to say. Like, literally, the foundation. We'll lay the foundation. Talk about. The legs, positioning, head movement, all of it. Uh, I had a real good session yesterday at this Louisville Slugger Innovation Lab that was eye-opening to me. I mean, just seeing some things and looking at the metrics and the numbers and, you know, what numbers matter. So we're going to get into the weeds uh, on that tomorrow with Will Clark as well. All right. Everyone have a fantastic day. See ya!